0: So good morning and um, welcome to you all, and uh, at my welcome to Mark's, and uh, thank you, Mark, and musicians, Barney, and uh, and uh, and, uh, and uh, our extra PowerPoint projector this morning as well. Thank you, Mark. We uh, start today a new series. Have I got a clicker. Mark's looking for it desperately. If uh, if not, we'll have to. Um, we start a new series. Luke's uh, gospel, and um, so we called it "Looking at Luke." I guess some posh people might say "Looking at Luke," but not not if you're from Birmingham. It's "Looking at Luke," and uh, it's a, it's a series that we're going to follow on for for a quite a quite a while. It's going to be quite a journey. Going to be lots of uh, episodes, and uh, here it is. Thank you, Mark. You looked a bit desperate there. (laughs) (laughs) One of my uh, favourite programmes. It's it's (laughs) almost—it's of course I was going to say it's almost as old as me, but that's not the truth because it's the other way round. But I've been watching this ever since I was uh, a kid, and uh, those are two of my favourite doctors, two of the more recent ones. So it's Doctor Who, if any of you... I just assume... I assume that everyone watches (coughs) Doctor Who and uh, one or two shaking heads. But I... uh, Yeah, I'm a fan of... So it's one of the few programs that I do I generally do not miss. And uh, I I know that says an awful lot about me, and you can pray for me and all the rest of it. But um, Doctor Who, the Time Lord, the one who travels through space and time. From Gallifrey... Aged 900 years and rising, and, uh, and he gets into all sorts of scrapes. He visits all sorts of places, all sorts of people, uh, cybermen, ice warriors. In fact, if you, I clicked on a list on Wikipedia of all the aliens that have appeared in the Doctor Who series. And wow, it is a, an incredibly long list, most of whose names I've entirely forgotten about if I ever knew them in the first place. And of course, uh, yeah, so we're facing headless monks and Silurians and Santarians, and, of course, the Daleks. (laughs) I met one once when I was about ten and I was quite scared even just looking at it. Um, But yes, and he goes on these amazing journeys and he's got a mission, of course. He's basically there to save people from alien monsters, destructive forces the darkness, which we've just sung about several times in our songs, Um, all of course, in a little police box and with a sonic screwdriver, quite amazing. Well, we start our series looking at Luke and uh, the Doctor, who, very clever, it's not that clever actually, is it? Right, okay. The Doctor. Who is he? We're going to look at the Doctor, we're going to look at his uh, journey, and we're going to look at a mission. And of course, this is something that is uh, much greater than even much, much greater than Doctor Who's journeys and mission. Okay, if you've got a Bible, I'd like you to have one, so put your hands up and the steward, or stewards if we find more, will deliver one to they're out this morning, okay? So if you haven't got a Bible, perhaps you want to sit next to somebody who has and you can share theirs. What page is Luke chapter 1 on? Somebody would like to shout it out for me? 1,025. 1,025. Okay. As you look at that, you're doing something this morning that if you weren't here or if you weren't a Christian, you probably would never do of you might, but most of us would never do. And that is, you're looking at a copy, a translation of a copy of a document that's over 1900 years old. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at something that goes way, way back into history. And that is absolutely amazing. The travel documents... Or time travel documents. This document has travelled through time, nearly two thousand years. Can we trust it? So we're going to study it. It's a very important question, isn't it? Can we believe what we're going to read? Is it true? Have we have we any reason to believe it's true or not true? That is document P forty five. I think the P stands for papyrus. Uh, I've seen that document. That document is in the Chester Beaton Museum in Dublin. And do you know what, folks? The Chester Beaton Museum is free. So if you ever go to Dublin, Chester Beaton Museum is a great place to go because it's got lots of ancient religious documents. Not just Christian, but it's got some of the earliest Christian documents as well. That is P45. That's 30 pages, not, that's not all of it of course, that's 30 pages from a, a document that contains significant portions from all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and also Acts. It's written in Egypt and it's time dated about 250 AD. So that's just a little over 200 years after Jesus died. That is one of the earliest, but not the earliest, document? How do we tell whether a document that we've got in front of us, like Luke's Gospel now, is, is reasonable, is reliable? Well, there's two tests that you apply for time travel documents. Basically, there's more as well we could talk about. And I'm not an expert, and, and Graham Dance is not here this morning, but if you want to speak to him, then he'd be one sort of person to chat to. One is, how old is the document we're looking at? And how many copies are they? And I just, for, just for an illustration, I've picked on the New Testament generally and Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian, a very prominent historian in, the, in, in about the same sort of time as Jesus. And uh, he, well not long afterwards, and he wrote rather at the same time as much of the New Testament is written. One of the, A very prominent historian. So how old are the documents that we've got? No one doubts what Josephus wrote. Right? It's, it's very reliable stuff that we work on. and uh, So we all know how old, because the, the older the document, the closer to the event that it is, the better it is, isn't it? The less likely that errors have been made in translation and copying and all the rest of it. So for the New Testament, well, Papyrus 52, which is an extract from John's Gospel, is dated 125 AD. That's less than 50 years after John's Gospel was probably written. That is incredibly close. The whole New Testament, or virtually the whole New Testament, not exactly, but virtually the whole New Testament was was in existence. We've got copies that go to 225 AD. That's less than 200 years after Jesus died, and that's much less than that, of course, when the documents were written. What about Josephus? The first copy you've got Josephus is about a thousand, roughly 1000 A.D. Okay, how many copies do we have? Because the more we have, the better it is. Yes, it throws up more variations, more copying errors and all the rest of it, but the able uh, pe- people who are uh, textual critics, people who are professionals in this field, can, the more copies they've got, the easier it is to work out what the original was, because many of the errors can be explained and, and, and identified. So how many 5,700 copies and rising of virtually complete New Testaments. And that's not without the tens of thousands of copies that were written in Latin and Syriac. That's Greek. How many copies of Josephus do we have? 133. So I say that because it's really important, isn't it, as we start reading the Gospel to to understand what we're reading, and what what reason have we got to believe that it's true? Because if it's not true, we're wasting our time, folks, studying it. But we have every reason to believe to believe that what Luke wrote is reasonable. The doctor, can we trust him? Well, can we trust Doctor Who? I don't know anymore. His character seems to be evolving, and I'm not sure he's the same doctor that I knew in the past. But can we trust this doctor, Doctor Luke, who wrote it? What do we know about him? Very little. We know an awful lot more about Doctor Who than we do about Doctor Luke. Almost certainly, he's the Luke that Paul refers to in his letter to the Colossians when he says, "My my friend, the doctor, Luke," and. Uh, uh, so we're pretty sure he's a physician. That means he's a trained and educated man. And, uh, uh, and, and we also know that that same Luke travelled with Paul on some of his journeys because in Acts, he's, um, the, the writer of the book of Acts, which we believe is Luke, along with the Gospel of Luke, he starts to write in the, in the, in the we rather than just they or he. He starts talking about we went there, we did this. So we know he travelled with Paul. Can we trust him, though, in what he said to us? Let's read now. Let's just read these first four verses of Luke um, chapter 1. By the way, everything else, almost certainly he was a Greek and therefore not a Jew. As I've just said, he, he has written a significant portion of the New Testament, more than any other person. is written by Luke. If wrote Luke and Acts together. And uh, tradition says that he was from Antioch, that he... Uh, he lived to a good old age of 84, and he wasn't married. That's probably why he lived to 84, of course, but no, I didn't mean that at all. Um, so that's, that, that is just uh, tradition. We don't actually know that's too true. Okay, let's read Luke chapter 1, 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So there's many accounts of Jesus doing rounds. You can understand that, can't you? If somebody like Jesus had lived, and people had seen the things that he did, heard the things that he taught... There'd be lots of stories that were passed on early, and then they start to be written down. So there's lots of stories. We've got just the four Gospels, but of course there are many other documents about Jesus that are not in our Bible, and of course many, many others that have been lost. Um, but of course the, the, the compilers of the canon of Scripture believe that these four Gospels were the ones that were the, the evidence, the hallmark of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So many documents around. But this guy, Luke, he wants to write an ordinary account. Right? He wants to he wants to he wants to check things out for himself. He wants to find out about which of these stories he can truthfully he can rely on and communicate to others, and which actually are just good stories, a bit like the other Doctor Who. So two things he says in those opening verses, isn't he? <coughs> He says that he carefully investigated. I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. That means the beginning of Jesus. That's what he's investigated. And this is a trained, educated man, and I've said. Now in Luke's Gospel and in the Acts, we have more references to places and people and events than than elsewhere in the New Testament. He's very specific. If you look at the beginning of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, you'll say you'll see that he names people and he gives their titles. Right? He says, "So and so was the governor of Syria," and "so and so was the tetrarch," and this was Pontius, and he does that throughout in other places in Luke and Acts as well. That's quite interesting, isn't it, to get the titles of people right? No Google in those days. To, to search information. And yet he gets them all right. Right times. He also mentions lots of places. He mentions 32 countries, 54 cities, and 9 islands, I'm told. I haven't counted them. And they're all there. They were real places. He also mentions quite a few events. So, for instance, right at the beginning, he mentions, doesn't he, in the birth of Jesus, the census. Now, for a long time, people said, that's ridiculous. People couldn't have traveled all the way back to their home towns for a census. What's the logic in that? That that wouldn't have happened, would it? It wasn't that long ago that they found uh, a document from Egypt that says this. uh, Vibius Maximus, prefect of Egypt, gives the following notice the enrollment by household being at hand, it is necessary to notify all who for any cause whatsoever are outside their homes, dot, 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 to return to their domestic hearths. Go home. Go back to where you came from, because that's what we're doing in the census. Do you know everything that Luke writes about in terms of those sort of historical facts, do you know all of them check out? This guy carefully investigated what he was was about, and that's really important. Secondly, in terms of any investigation, he says about the eyewitnesses handed down to us by those who are from the first were eyewitnesses of the first. Now Luke is not a disciple, he's not like Matthew or John, he's not even a Jew probably, as you said, he's a Greek from another country. But he doesn't just take stuff. This guy goes to talk to people. Because there's people still alive when he's writing this. who would seen Jesus. There's people who'd listened to him. There's people who were healed by Jesus. They're still alive then, no doubt. And along with taking stuff from Mark's Gospel and one of us, he goes searching for eyewitnesses. Why does he do all this? And he says at the end of that passage that we just read, He says, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. He wants people to have a faith in Jesus Christ that is based on evidence. He doesn't just want it to be come from people's imaginations like Doctor Who. He wants it to be based on real things that he can tell them. And so as we come to think about faith for ourselves, it's really important, isn't it, that we understand that. Our faith is not just, yes, we have to take a step of faith, but it's not just a step into the complete unknown. We have writers like Luke who wrote what they had found out for themselves from people who'd seen it really happen. Okay, very quickly, let's look. So we looked at the Doctor, and of course the Doctor isn't writing about himself. Unlike Doctor Who, who's the main character, Luke is just the author. He's writing about somebody much more important, isn't he? His journey. Well, of course, the TARDIS takes us through all sorts of places, wonderful places. Actually, most of them are back on Earth, isn't it? It's pretty boring, really. Most of the visits seem to be Earth. I wish he could go to some of these other planets and uh, obviously it takes a bit more to create the sets or something. But, yes, so that's his journey. What about this journey? And this is the journey. And, And actually... Luke's Gospel very quickly is structured around journeys and places. First of all, we have Bethlehem. And uh, Bethlehem is, is, here's Jerusalem, by the way, and here's Bethlehem just a few miles outside Jerusalem. And the first couple of chapters lead up to what happens in Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus. Then between chapters 4 and 9, it's up there in Galilee. I wish I had one of those little red pointers. Oh, have I? Oh, fantastic. Oh, I really made it. I've never used all of these. Oh, this is great, this is. I ought to be a school teacher on um, it. It all takes place up here in Galilee, those next five chapters. And Jesus, particularly when chapter four starts, doesn't it? He, when he's going back into the synagogue in his own town of Nazareth, the place where he's grown up, the place where people have known him ever since he was a knee-high to a grasshopper. Then from chapters 9 to, to 19. It's all in Judea and Perea. And this is mainly teaching now. This is mainly the teaching of Jesus. One or two miracles in there as well. Mainly the teaching and the increasing opposition of people, of particularly of the religious leaders. And uh, in chapter 9, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And then chapters 19 to 24, all of that section is devoted just to one week, one important week. Uh, in Jerusalem that's the journey but it isn't is it it isn't that's the earthly journey the journey is something far more amazing than that this is the journey of Jesus Christ son of God son of the most high as as he said to Mary from heaven to earth and this is the journey that doesn't end on earth it doesn't end on the cross it doesn't even end on earth This is the journey of the risen Lord Jesus ascended on high to be with the Father. This is a fantastic journey. What about the mission? What about the mission? And of course, as I haven't said, the journey of course continues in Acts, the book of Acts, the journey of the church. Okay, so Doctor Who, Who, the Messiah type figure almost, the Interesting, isn't it, how much religious language they use in Doctor Who, and um, and yeah, some in some ways a sort of messiah type figure who saves people, saves people from awful monsters. Mind you, most of the monsters look absolutely ridiculous, don't they? They don't they don't look scary at all. I mean, that's just well, not to me now. I'm a tough adult anyway. As a seven-year-old, it might have been different. But he's a sort of saviour. And that was his mission, sort of Doctor Who. He's always saving planet Earth. What about Jesus? Well, as Chris in his prayer played, we, we know right from the outset, even in his name, what his mission is. His name is Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. That's why he's come. That's, that's it. He will save people from their sins. What about his mission statement? Well, let's just read those verses in. uh, Wonderful verses that Jesus, when he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, his ministry has begun perhaps up to a year. His reputation is, is huge probably now of what people are saying about him because of the things that he's done and the things that he's been teaching. And he goes back to Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up on the Sabbath day. He went into the synagogue. And he's given a, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah to read. And these are the verses he reads. And then if they're given to him, or he goes and selects these. It doesn't matter. But he says, he, he reads from this prophet Isaiah, several hundred years old. Again, a very ancient document he's reading from. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sits down. And just as it said, everybody's eyes were on him. Everyone was looking at him. What is he going to do now? What is he going to say? He just said, today, this scripture, this that was written almost hundreds of years ago, this rather, is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the one. I am the one that this is written about. I am the rescuer. I am the one who's going to deliver people. I'm the one who's going to open people's eyes. It's me. And of course, they took, that was, took a bit of swallowing while the people had seen him grow up. His mission statement, he could be summed up in Luke chapter 19 after he's had his time with Zacchaeus, the cheat. He goes out and he says, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. In many other things, yes, he shows us what God is like and those sort of things, but his mission from the outset was to seek and to save the lost. And right from the beginning, and the truth is we're all lost. Every single one of us, however nice we might be, however good we are to our neighbours or our cats or whatever else, without Jesus we're lost. That's the truth of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel is that we can be saved and rescued. And Jesus' good news is for all, absolutely all people. Matthew's gospel gives us a genealogy that goes back to uh, Abraham. Luke's gives, gives us a genealogy, it's not complete of course, um, that goes back to Adam. Because right from the start Luke is saying this gospel, this good news is for Everyone, everyone is included within the lost and those that he's seeking to save. But it's particularly reflected, as we've just read in Luke chapter 4, particularly reflected in Jesus' actions and teaching. And there are particular people that Luke emphasizes are included. He makes a very, it's not, this, when he put his gospel together, he's obviously only including certain things, but he's not just picking things at random even if they happen to be true. He's putting his gospel together in such a way that he wants to communicate a very clear message, more than one probably, but here's one of them. is that the people that were on the outside, that are on the edge, they are the people that God wants to include in his family and his kingdom. So the poor. So we have the stories, don't we, about Lazarus, that man who was so poor, covered in sores, We think it's a parable, but we don't know if it isn't true. There's reasons for thinking it might not just be a parable. Then we have the story of the great banquet, doesn't it? When the guy goes out, the people who are invited don't want to come. So he says, the guy says, go out, bring them in. Find them, under the hedges, wherever, I don't care. Bring them in. I want them. The poor, the lame, the crippled, whatever. The outcast, the sinners. So we have the healing of the ten lepers and others. People that... Other people wouldn't go near. Jesus goes to them, heals them. We have the demon possessed man, that man who's so wild that no one can control him. Jesus goes to him, puts him in a right, brings him back into his into health and in a right state. And then we have only in Luke do we have those wonderful parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son that Mark was telling us about not so long ago. That father who runs for his lost son. The outcast, the foreigner. We have the healing of the Roman centurion servant. We have a Samaritan leper, and we have the story of the good Samaritan. The Jews hated Samaritans. What a way to win the audience, say, to make your hero a Samaritan. That's no way to win friends and influence people. But he's showing that these people are included in the children of God. And children, let the children come to me. Don't push them away, let them come. And women, nowhere in in the Gospels is so much as Luke, who includes women. Women always, nearly always in a positive way. Women who are encouraged to learn, like Mary, where women were not educated. Women who are in a real state and being mistreated by others, like the prostitutes. He encourages women into his family in a society that was so uh, male-dominated in many ways. They're all to come. His mission. The good news is for all. And includes the religious leaders, of course, if they want to listen and respond. That was his mission in Luke's Gospel. But you know what, folks? The mission hasn't ended. He goes on and Luke does need to show how, the, how through, the, through these people that Jesus left behind, the mission continues right to the ends of the earth. And here's the added point. It hasn't finished. There's a new episode to be written. A new episode to be written in your life and my life you realise that we're part of the story. We're part of the story that's ongoing. It isn't just about looking back and thinking that's good stuff, I can trust it, rely on it, whatever else. It's about realising that we are meant to be part of this ongoing story. The mission of Jesus Christ, to reach the lost, and within that to include, definitely include, the last and the least. Are we doing that as a church? Is that our focus? To, work, to go for the last, but to definitely include the last and the least within that. Because that's what Jesus did. And we're to continue by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same story. There's a new episode to be written. Are you going to be part of writing an episode this week? I trust so, because that's what God wants us to be doing. Thanks, Mark.